Welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside podcast. My name is Ginny Urich. I'm the founder of 1000 Hours Outside, and I have a new friend with me today, Lauren Gaines, author of Unshakable Kids. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored to talk with you today. You have a book coming out, and it'll be out by the time this podcast goes live. You are a writer, teacher, mother, creator of Inspired Motherhood, a thriving community online for moms to find practical tools to raise spiritually and emotionally healthy kids. You have a master's degree in school psychology and experience teaching undergrad psychology. But right now you're home with your three kids. Yes. Doing the mom thing. And you wrote a book, which is so exciting. And it's really cool to read people's different experiences as they transition into motherhood. Mine feels similar to yours, which is that when you became a mom, you were a little shocked. Yes. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so was I. I wonder, I think some people are not, but I sure. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like a lot of my friends had a similar experience to me. I think, so my brother is nine years younger than me and um, he, you know, was a little baby. I was nine. He was the perfect baby. And my mom told me, this is not how babies are. But I was just like, oh, he's so sweet. He never cries. I get to like hold him and feed him a bottle. And so I remember too, my husband was like, um, why do you want to have kids? And I was like, it's going to be fun. And I, I genuinely thought that like, I that was my response, you know, and it is fun. It is. But it was also like three weeks postpartum crying in our closet being like, this is not fun. This is not what I thought this was going to be. What an interesting experience to be nine, because you would remember all of that. Yes. To be nine and have this little baby brother. But as a sister, and if he was an easy baby, but you're just getting like the little glint. You weren't up in the night. Oh, no. I had no idea that my mom. Yeah. I had no idea my mom was getting up in the middle of the night. Like, I just didn't even think that was a thing, you know? <laughs> and maybe this is like how the human race continues is that you are nine, 10, 11, 12. I mean, I remember you love babies Oh yeah. and you hold them for 15 minutes and they're so cute and they're so fun and they're so interactive. And then you give them back. So you don't really know <laughs> how much work it's going to be. Yes. Yeah. My sister and I used to like fight over who could hold him because he was just so content and happy. So I think my view going into motherhood and especially like with Instagram and everything, you think it's going to be this amazing, lovely, easy, like life fulfilling experience. And it is those things. I don't want to like make it sound horrible if people don't have kids yet. But it's also hard. It can be hard and beautiful at the same time. Right, right. It is that for sure. So you said I had no idea motherhood would require so much of me. And I do think that that is a common sentiment and would require so much of you for like such a long period of time. Like I just remember thinking like, when are things going to get back to how I used to feel? Yeah. <laughs> and they really, that really doesn't happen. So you have to adjust. So that's kind of what you were doing is you were adjusting. So one of the things that you leaned on was your prior experience working in the schools and some of the books that you had read. So when you hit this point where you're like, okay, I need a little bit of help here. I need to go back to some of the things I learned. What were you digging into? Like you talked about textbooks, were there books, like parenting books, or was it more college materials that you had used? Yeah, it was stuff that I had in grad school. I still had all my binders. So thanks, mom, for saving all that and giving it to me from your basement. But I remember <laughs> learning like in counseling, 
you know, we took like counseling 101. And um, a lot of people don't know, as a school psychologist, you do work with special education. So I did a lot of testing with special education, but I also did counseling. So within the special education realm counseling, but also some general ed counseling. And I remember learning, we were like, all nine of us, there were, it was a very small grad program, went in this dark room, and they learned, taught us how to do uh, systematic desensitization. So like, where you tighten your face and let it go. You tighten your shoulders and let it go. And I was, I remember feeling so relaxed in that moment. I'm like, I learned these things. I just never put them into practice. I knew how to, you know, keep my thoughts captive and how to re- do mental reframes, but I wasn't doing it. I thought that was always for people who had a diagnosis, you know, had a diagnosis mm. of anxiety or depression. And then I realized, no, this isn't just for that. This is for me. Like I need this. And this is something that I can teach my kids too, from an early age to learn okay, when my body feels jittery, like maybe I'm nervous about something, like what am I thinking about? What thoughts are running through my head? And so there isn't like a specific book that I was like, this is it. But I just literally went through my old binders and was reading human development and like, okay, what about these feelings? What about these thoughts? And what can I do with them? Because before it was always like for someone else. And now I was looking at it for me. Mm -hmm. What an interesting thing that you could go back and grab those things and find what you needed for parenting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's not really what they were marketing, marketing is the wrong word, but that's, it was for being a, a school psychologist, right? not for like, hey, you wanna be a mom, here's some information for you, but you were able to go back and pick out, yeah, what a mom, she kept your binders. Yeah, I mean, because truly we all have unhelpful thoughts running through our heads, whether you're a mom, you know, a police officer, doctor, whatever, it doesn't matter. You have thoughts running through your head. And so Mm -hmm. they're going to affect how you feel and the things that you do. And so it's so valuable if we can learn to kind of understand our mind and how powerful it is. Right. Well, and even the physical part. So that was one of the things you talked about in the book is downregulating your nervous system. Can you tell us about what the vagus nerve is? And you were just talking about like some of those things that you would like clench up and let go and just on a, on a body level, how can we help ourselves and our kids feel better? Yeah. So that is something I didn't really learn about in grad school, but my husband is an internal medicine physician. And so it was so interesting how our worlds kind of clashed together and like Kate crashed and it was like, whoa, this is all connected, you know? Mm-hmm. And so he knew a lot more about this. And I actually was meeting with a functional doctor because I was having some digestion problems. And he told me like, I think you might be addicted to stress. And I was like, what? Like, I just had no, I was like, no, I'm not. Because I thought I'm a mom, like, how can I be addicted to stress? But um, my body was craving stimulation, my body was craving dopamine. And so he felt like sometimes my stomach would act in a negative way, because it would still be giving me that dopamine rush in a bad way, you know, so we want to find that in a good way, not be activated from negative things. But yeah, so the vagus nerve runs from your head to your gut. And when it is activated, it can calm your whole body. And so there are really easy things like deep breathing. I know, I mean, I learned that in grad school and I was just kind of always like deep breathing, like who really does that? That doesn't like really work. (laughs) But it is amazing how you don't even realize like, wow, when was the last time I took a deep breath? Like when I actually did it, I was like, I do feel different. I'm never slowing down enough to actually do that. Mm. And so 
deep breathing is a way to activate that vagus nerve and just send the signals from your brain to your gut to kind of calm down. Mm -hmm. And when we get in those negative thought spirals or panic, we do go into fight or flight and we're not thinking rationally. And that is when we spiral. That is when we yell at our kids. And so if we can get ourselves back to that place of calm or peace, deep breathing is a way. Singing is actually a way to do it too. So humming, singing, anything where the vagus nerve is like running here. So by your vocal cords, it's going to activate it. And uh, yeah, I I noticed when I learned that singing did that, I was like, my four-year-old sings all the time for no reason, just like around the house singing. I was like, there has to be something to that because kids mm-hmm. love to sing. And I feel like they're, they're happy generally. <laughs> yeah. They naturally sing. And a lot of times they just make stuff up. Yeah. They're singing about nothing, you know, or yeah. maybe they have a song, but the lyrics are totally wrong coming out of their mouth, but they're so joyful in doing it. Mm-hmm. What an interesting thing. I think that it's good to explain the why, because like you said, deep breathing it just seems too simple. Yeah. So then sometimes we discount those things. But if you learn the why, like you talk about this vagus nerve, the longest nerve in our bodies. Wow. Yeah. Super highway from our brain to our gut and then back from our gut to our brain. And that it's pretty easy to stimulate it. I had read in this book by Annabelle Abs called 52 Ways to Walk that when you hum, it increases your immune system. Yeah. It's something to do with nitric oxide And I don't totally know all the science behind it. She has it in her book, 52 Ways to Walk, but the singing and the humming. So it's doing all sorts of things for us beyond helping us to feel calmer. It's also helping our immune system too. So what an interesting thing, downregulate the nervous system. I think you have to know about those things because when you get in those rough spots, your first inclination is not to sing a song. Yeah, exactly. And I think Honestly, I think we're like on the cusp of really understand. We're we're just learning some of this, how it's all connected. And it's so fascinating because I think we don't fully understand how it is all connected and how our body works. And so if we can know like a simple tool like that, and mm-hmm. I've taught my kids how to do deep breathing too, because when you're in that moment of panic, whether it is anxious thoughts or fear, it's so hard to just talk yourself out of it. You can try to say, oh, I'm going to just think better thoughts. But like, sometimes that doesn't work. The more you try to not think of the bad thought, the more it comes. And so if you can do something to totally switch the channel of your brain and bring it back to peace, like taking a deep breath and counting with that, then it switches your brain for you without you exerting all this mental energy that might not work anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what great tools, both for us and like you said, to teach our kids. We can do them while we're doing, we can teach our kids or when they're in a funk or they're struggling, we can help them to get out of it using these simple tools. I thought that part when the doctor said you're addicted to stress was super interesting. (laughs) What a thing to say to someone. I know, really, I feel like you could be offended by it. And I wasn't because I was just like, my first response was no, I'm not. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, maybe I am. And so the last whole part of my book kind of talks about like our rhythms and routines and we can do all these things and try to create emotionally healthy kids. But if our homes are chaotic, if our schedules are chaotic, it's going to backfire. You know, it means nothing. (laughs) If you're like, take a deep breath once, but then we're constantly running around. And so I feel like even just writing this book and my own revelations, we've made a lot of family changes ourselves because I realized that my life has always been go, 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 do, do, do. I'm I'm an achiever. I want to do everything. Everything sounds exciting. And like, yes, I'll do that. 
But then I realized there was getting to the point where like I was burning out and Mm -hmm. wasn't giving my body time or my mind time to rest. And so it was really backfiring. And this started for you as a kid. You were talking about in the book, like you came from a family that was a high achievers. Not that it was overly burdensome, but you grew up that way. Yeah. My family did not force anything on me. They weren't like, you have to get, you know, straight A's, but my dad is an engineer. And so he would do like math games with us all the time before like, oh, solve this math problem and you can get dessert. And it was just like, he made learning fun, but then Mm -hmm. it kind of became like almost an addiction to learn more, you know, and to do more and to excel in all those areas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this kind of started to a degree when you were a kid and then you take it on into your adult life. What do you think it was? Was it just physical things or was there other things? Were there other things that you had talked about with your doctor that caused him to say, I think you're addicted to stress? Because you said you were surprised by it. I think I, I was telling him a bit about my life, you know, and I don't know that I went into, so like in high school, my life was crazy. I would get up at five in the morning, go swim before school, change in the locker room, go to class eight hours, go back to the pool, swim another two hours, go lift, go home and do my AP homework and go to bed at 9.30, exhausted and get up and do it all over again. And Mm. that was just like normal. And that was like swimming is something that's year round. So it wasn't just like for, you know, two months, it was year round. And so I think he did know that I think about me. And I think too, I was sharing, I definitely have, I've have not been diagnosed with anxiety or anything like that, but I struggle with anxious thoughts. I worry. And I I, I think I'm a highly sensitive person. I, I haven't officially been diagnosed with that, but I can kind of diagnose myself. I feel things deeply. And so I think he knew that and was like, I think all these, like your body again, is trying to catch up with that level of stress that you've had for so many years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. or And you don't really know a way to live differently. It's such an interesting thing about the swim team. I taught high school for a little bit and then there was an opening one year for like an assistant swim coach at the high school. And I had swam on the swim team when I was like really little, but I was like, oh, you know, maybe that'd be kind of cool. And so I went to go find out more about it. And it was just like that, Lauren. It was like practice before school and practice after school. And I just remember thinking like, how are kids surviving this? Yeah. That's like a a 12 hour (laughs) day. Yeah. It's like a 12 hour day of just the swimming school. And then, like you said, there's homework. So I just remember thinking like, I I can't do that. There's no way I'm doing that. How are these kids doing it? And I I almost wonder if along the way they're depleting a little bit of their reserves because that's a lot. Oh, I think for sure. Yeah. I think like this was like almost like when motherhood happened, it was a crash a bit for me because then in grad school, I was so grateful that I got an assistantship. So they paid for me to go to grad school, but that meant I had to work 20 hours a week. And so I would work at my assistantship. I would go to the practicum in school. Then I would take classes for three hours every night, Monday through Thursday. And so my life was so full then too. Yeah. And then I married my husband when he was in med school. And so our life was crazy, you know? And then after kids, I, I decided to stay home for a bit. So it was like my schedule really opened up for the first time in many, many years. It's like the bottom drops out and you don't know what to do with that. Yeah. But yeah. the bottom drops out, but also you're in a grind of other type of work that maybe doesn't feel quite so fulfilling and is overwhelming in different ways yes. and is never ending too. 
And so, yeah, to your decades, it's decades of this go, go, go. And what a big thing to have to relearn to try and slow down. Yeah, but I think there's so much value in that. And so just reflecting on my own, and I never knew that that was abnormal, which sounds really weird to say until I was writing this book. (laughs) Well, it's what everybody does, though. I mean, that's how the swim team works, right? It's like, well, everyone is expected to come to the before school practice and the after school practice. And then there were meets. That was the other thing, Lauren. It was like, there were these practices. And then it was there were several swim meets, maybe one or two a week on top of I'm like, well, how are people finding time? When are they doing their homework? When are they with their friends or their family? When are they eating? (laughs) (laughs) Seriously? Yeah. And the meets like, are long. They're like three to four hours. They're not like Mm -hmm. an hour beat. So yeah, yeah. And I think it is amazing, really, now that we're talking about this, looking back, like, not that I know of, nobody really struggled with anxiety or, you know, not like today. Like, I feel like kids today, so many kids are struggling. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of the norm. And I'm not saying that it was right. I don't want that life for my kids, I guess, unless and I never felt like I had to do it. Like, I feel like my parents were like, if you want to stop, you can. It was not like, I felt like they forced me to do this. I, I enjoyed it actually in the moment. My friends were my swim team, you know? Yeah. And so it was, I don't want to paint it as like this horrible thing. I thought it was fun <laughs> when I was doing well, it. Well, sure. Well, I, I just wish, you know, it's like you almost wish that because it's fun, so you don't want to quit, right? That's where your friends are. You like to compete. Yeah. You like to swim. And you had a, a big experience, though, where you had to leave for a little bit. You had surgery for your back but you like the environment. It's almost like you just wish that it would be structured different because you can't really join in unless you commit to most of it. I'm sure that there's some leeway and you can skip here and there, but the commitment is what everyone's committing to. And there's not an option for like, hey, I'll just do the after school practice and not both, or I'll just come to one swim meet and not all of them. And so I think that's a tricky part. It's like in order to have those friends and have those fun experiences of competition, there's a, a tall order. It's a lot asked of you. Oh, and I think that this is the norm for sports today, not just swimming. And it's so sad to me that that it's like that, that kids can't just have fun competing, that it's become this like, you need to dedicate your life to the sport by age nine. Like, what mm-hmm. is that? I'm just not sure that that's, if we want to be emotionally healthy, you know, and our bodies need rest. Like we know that our bodies need time to rest and to clean itself and all of that. And so how do we fit that in, in a culture that's telling us go, 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 do, do, do. And so because of this, my husband actually got a different job. So now he he used to have to work weekends and be on call. And we were just like, this really changes our life of, we don't want to live like that anymore. Mm -hmm. And this is the first year we're homeschooling our kids. And I'm not saying homeschooling is the only answer, but I feel like it really just showed us we want a different way for our kids and we have the choice, you know, it's never too late. I think I wrote that in the book because sometimes you feel like if you read all these statistics about the brain or about emotional health and you're like, well, it's too late. I messed up. I didn't do it. It's never too late. Mm -hmm. It's never too late to change. Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot. And for me, that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do. But I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high-quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum-sealed and frozen at peak freshness, so you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. 
We had a somewhat last minute get together recently and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chops hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chops price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com slash outside120 and use code outside120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That's code outside120 at goodchop.com slash outside120 for $120 off. Goodchop.com slash outside120 code outside 120. When the skies open up while others seek shelter, I embrace the rain. Heading to my favorite hike, the raindrops are like a soothing melody and my vessies ensure each step is dry and comfortable, turning a simple outing into a rather delightful experience. Whenever my kids and I are stepping into a great outdoors adventure, I love wearing Vessi's Stormburst boots to capture the beauty of springtime landscapes. Their robust style is perfect for our nature excursions, adding a little dash of elegance to our outdoor explorations. This spring, transform how you view wet weather with Vessi. Their Dymatex technology makes their shoes not just waterproof, but a stylish barrier against rain and puddles. Whether it's a sudden downpour or a planned seaside walk, Vessi shoes ensure your feet stay dry and comfortable. Embrace the essence of spring with Vessi. From chic city walks to adventurous treks, find the perfect pair for your lifestyle at Vessi.com outside and enjoy an automatic 15% off your first order upon checkout. That's V-E-S-S-I dot com slash outside for 15% off your first order. Mm-hmm. Like you were talking about how we have new nerve cells. It was a cool thing. Every single day, our brain has new something. I wrote it down. This is a problem. I always say this with my notes. I wrote things down, and I'm like, I don't <laughs> know where that was. Oh, every morning when you wake up, new baby nerve cells have been born while you were sleeping that are there at your disposal. Yes, you can always grow and change. And it's just an interesting thing to look back on a childhood. That's, that is actually a very normal childhood, right, Lauren? Like, we want to excel at school. We want to play a sport or two. The sports take up a lot of time and we can take that really overloaded schedule into our adult life because that's what feels normal. And so it's just something to think about with our kids, right? Which is how are we structuring? Because like you said, your parents weren't even really pushing it. Yeah. It's just the way that things were structured. Yeah. We we started summer swim team. That's how it started. Same like summer fun swim team. And then it was like, whoa, like you're actually kind of good at this. And so then it was like, okay, well, do you want to keep doing it? And my parents did ask. And I will say, so in the spring, you were supposed to, the main is like winter. So spring is lighter for swimming, but Mm -hmm. you're still supposed to be training every day. My mom was good about like, if you don't want to go, don't go. And so she would fight with the coach every spring about like, they might not come every day. And they'd be like, no, they have to. And I I do think my mom advocated for us. I don't want to paint it as like, it was this horrible thing. Well, yeah. And then you are, you're, you're painting it as like, my parents didn't push it. It was just kind of like the way things were. Yeah. And so it's interesting to see how that translated then into your adult life, because you sort of feel like, I remember, I tell people a lot, like I remember when I was finally done with college and all I had was a job and just feeling like super weird about that. <laughs> because for so long, you have homework and sports and school. Oh, yeah. And then you have job. And then all of a sudden, 
like you just have the job and you're like, well, this is weird. It's only eight hours or nine hours. I was just talking with a friend this week and she's like, oh, this is like, you need to post this all over Instagram. Don't be afraid of the white space. Cause I was saying, wow, we're getting through this curriculum really fast with my kids and my kids are similar to me and that they want to constantly learn. They want to be simulated. They want to achieve. And that's not a bad thing. You know, I don't want to squash that in them, but I also want them to learn balance. And so it's okay to have boredom, to have white space. Like we don't need to fill it right away. Just let it be mm-hmm. and see what's going to work best. Cause I, I'm a yes person. I'm really excited. Like, Oh, horseback riding. That sounds awesome. Let's do it. But then pretty soon we're doing something every night and we're back to that crazy schedule mm-hmm. where we're never being together. And we're never just like, we're in that overstimulated world. When was the last time we were just still and not having a podcast playing in the background or, you know, we're, our brains crave this constant simulation. And that's a dangerous thing to get into, I think. And I think that can lead to some extra exhaustion. That's one of the things that you talk about in your book is dealing with exhaustion and being exhausted emotionally and physically. And then how that sort of shows up in the ways that we react. Okay. So one of the things that you talk about, it was interesting. Well, I didn't know that you were homeschooling. So I think this adds a little extra twist to it is you're working on homemaking and making your home have a certain atmosphere. That's tricky though, when everyone's home and you're trying to juggle all of that. But one of the things that you talk about then is clutter, that clutter affects our well-being and it can have a really negative impact. So that was one of the things that you did to help yourself, help your mental health uh, with your aunt, right? Yes. Yeah. So she came because writing the book like left not a lot of space or time for cleaning up, right? And people give me things like, oh, I have, you know, books, puzzles. I'm like, great, we'll take it. And then pretty soon I'm like, why did I do that? Our house is overwhelmed with stuff. And so it's so, if you're not naturally good at it, I don't, I like order, but I'm not naturally good at it. Mm -hmm. And so, and probably because truthfully, I never learned it as a kid. I just didn't have, I was so busy with everything else that I didn't learn how to organize well. And some people just have that natural gift for it. So I would encourage you, if it's not something that comes naturally to you, find someone who who is good at it and see if they'll come help you. And we went room by room, like drawer by drawer, closet by closet, and just went through and was like, okay, do we need this? Do we not? And I truthfully still, this is a process. It's not like a once and done thing because mm-hmm. right now my living room does not look great. <laughs> but um, it's so true that when there's just stuff everywhere, it adds a mental load to your mind and you don't even realize it. You're not maybe even consciously thinking about it, but when you see stuff everywhere, it just over, there's been studies on this that it's Mm -hmm. not great for your mental health. And so I feel like that's an easy way. Again, we can be teaching our kids how to express their feelings and how to understand their thoughts, but we also want to create an atmosphere that's going to help them build those healthy brain connections. Then, and part of that Mm -hmm. is creating a space where they can learn and grow. And yes, homeschooling is hard because the kids are home all day, but they can learn, they can learn some of these skills so that then as an adult, they're good at organizing. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, I feel like this is something an easy, maybe not easy, because actual keeping it organized and clean is hard. But it's not rocket scientists. It's something that we can do to make the home atmosphere better for our families. Mm hmm. I like what you said. If like, it's not, if it doesn't come naturally to you, find someone 
people who it does come a little more naturally for. And I do think that people who, I think that people who like to organize, like really like to organize. Oh, yes, they do. I think they get like a high off of it. Yeah. <laughs> like your aunt probably liked it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, she did. She did. She thought it was fun. Whereas like, I thought it was nice, the outcome. I didn't really think it was fun in the process. Yeah. But like, they like it. And yeah, people, yes. because the people I've known in my life that are really organized and just do such a good job at that, they talk about it, it like lights them up. So I, I actually think, I mean, that is a really good idea. <laughs> it's mutually beneficial yeah. to find someone who might, you know, might come and help or at least give you a little bit of direction. And I think it's such an important thing to say, Lauren. It's like you talk about homemaking and hospitality. They may not come naturally to us. Get some help. I think that's really, really good advice because the clutter can really impact how we feel and really can take a lot of our time away from us. Oh, it can. I mean, I get so stressed out if I lose a paper or there's something, you know, a library book. It's like if there was a system in place where this is where the library books go, then we're not going to spend all that time worrying about it or losing our temper because we can't find it. And so if we can create a system, and again, like I said, that might not come naturally to us. So if we can have someone help us who is good at creating those systems, trial and error, you know, see what works for your family and what works for one might not work for you. But I think we need to be willing to try and to ask for help because why not get help from someone else who's good at it? Yeah. <laughs> library books, that's such a funny thing. I feel like library books have caused stress like since my childhood. <laughs> like, oh, even at the school library, like where is it? Where did I put it? But our library now, and I think a lot of libraries have switched, like there are no fees. Oh, I know. There are no, which seems kind of like, then why is there a due date? I don't get that. But <laughs> you just get like an email all the time. Now they're calling. Yeah. Like you owe us this book, but at least you don't have to pay anything. So I'm like, oh, that's kind of life changing. I really love that. So yeah, a lot of beautiful information in this book about your home. Your home is an atmosphere and how to set it up. Like you say, and this is a really interesting thing. And it's true. You say when you step foot in someone else's home or in your own home, you feel yeah. that atmosphere. Like, you know, is there joy here? Is there tension here? And I had a friend who opened her home to like college students. Maybe she, I guess she must have lived like maybe in a college town. I don't know. They opened their home to college students on a regular basis. And she said people flocked there and it was like a small home. They didn't have a ton of space, but she said it's because they, she knew they felt welcome and they felt at home. So what are some of the things that you try to do to create that atmosphere in your home for your kids or for your friends? Yeah, it's so true. I mean, you can just tell. And I do think style is part of that. I don't want to completely ignore that. But I also don't, I don't spend that much money on home decor. It's just not something that I get that high off of. I know people love it and that's great. But I think having a home where they're greeted with a smile, where there's a space for them, where you feel like, and it's not like you need to make this gourmet meal, right? But even just having a drink available or a little snack, mm -hmm. it could be something out of a bag, not something you make yourself, yeah. but just meeting those basic needs of I'm paying attention to you. I think another thing I write about a lot in the book that I am really guilty of is looking at the phone instead of looking in someone's eyes and we've lost the art of eye contact. And so I think when people come into your home and don't see you like scrolling right away, but you greeting them. And I try, I, I'm not always successful at doing this, but when my husband comes home, I think that he feels welcome when it's like, Hey, you're here. Like, welcome yeah. back. You know, instead of just like, there are days where I've been like, Oh, I can't deal with this anymore. Like I'm going upstairs, you deal with them. And it's just, it sets a different tone, you know, for the evening when 
just that initial greeting, that initial welcome. And it doesn't need to be fancy. It doesn't need to cost a lot of money. But I think just listening to other people, looking them in the eye and Mm. making them feel welcome is such a such a key thing. You have a very friendly face, too. So my coach in college was like, you are the only person I've seen who smiles while they're crying. I think I was crying after a race. And I was like, (laughs) which I guess is good, you know, that I have a joyful spirit. But there are times that I like try to tell my husband that something's really bothering me. And he's like, it took him a few years to realize, like, I can't really tell how bad it is because you seem like happy when you're talking about it. <laughs> what a thing. You have a really friendly face. That's so interesting. Uh, I, I love that, though. Just by the way that we greet people, it's a big deal. And that can be a really easy change in something that even for our own kids, like the way that we greet them or when they come in the room. Yeah. That type of thing. What about this thought of I'll be happy when? So it's something that you talk about in the book. like, And I do think... I especially think at the beginning of motherhood, I was sort of there, right? I think because I thought things would change to be more controlled eventually. And then it took a while to learn that like, this is just how things are and you have to accept it. But I I think that a lot of us fall into that. Well, I'll be happy when I'm not changing diapers. I'll be happy when I'm sleeping through the night. I'll be happy, you know, when maybe I'm putting my kids on the school bus. I'll be happy when this, that, or the other thing, I get a raise. But can you talk about like why that really steals from our life? Why that isn't the best way to go? Yes. And it is so easy. Like, even though I know this trap, it's so easy to fall into because it's just kind of an automatic thought. Like, I'll be happy when I'm not woken up. I love sleep. So I want eight hours of uninterrupted sleep, which is basically impossible with kids. And so it's like, I'll be happy when I can finally sleep, but it just delays our happiness. And really the goal line keeps moving because Mm -hmm. I thought certain things like I'll be happy. My first daughter was born when my husband was a resident. And so his hours were crazy. There were many times where he was on night shift and I was home alone with a crying baby at 2 a.m. And it was like, okay, I'll be happy when this is over. Like when you get a real job, when you're not, I mean, resident is a real job, but you know, when you're not a resident anymore. Yeah. And then he got a job and I was like, not any more happy. And it was like, okay, well now I'll be happy <laughs> when, mm. and so it just, again, delays happiness. And I was listening to your podcast uh, with Joy about practicing presence. It was so good. And I think it's so true. Like we, we just don't enjoy the messiness of life and it's never, mm. it's never going to be perfect. Right. And I think we see, even if we tell ourselves, okay, Instagram is a highlight reel. It's not like real life it's still hard to look at it and not wish, oh, Mm. that vacation looks so nice. Or I wish I could just do that. Or I wish I had this and it's just no way to live. Again, we're delaying happiness and there's something to enjoy, I believe, in every moment. Even in the hard, we can find something good. I think it's sad that we may miss, like, I don't want to say waste those early days of motherhood, but I feel like they're hard for a reason. They refine us, they prepare us Mm. for later parts of motherhood. And thankfully, with my third child, I was able to enjoy getting up at night. Like, Mm. I really had a shift in a mental perspective of like, wow, this is short, you know, it was only like for like four months, and then it was over. And I know some kids are longer and shorter or whatever, who sleep through the night, but it really isn't that long in the perspective of your life. And I knew it was my last child. So I was like, this is so sweet that the house is quiet, that I'm here. Mm being able to nurture and hold my child. And 
I guess I did feel sad that I didn't feel that way the first time around, but I'm not, I don't want to beat myself up for missing out maybe because that's no way to live either. (laughs) I think it's just like, okay, I have this revelation now. So what can I do to keep it moving forward? Mm -hmm. I have been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs when my immune system feels unsupported. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and ready to face the day. As a parent, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so I can continue to show up for the moments that matter with my kids. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash 1000. That's drinkag1.com slash 1000. Check it out. Eating better is easy with Factors delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember, to sign up and save, we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside50 to get 50% off. I mean, that first time, you know, with the first kid and you're up in the night, like, what is this? And you just don't have that perspective of knowing that it will end at some point. And for some, I mean, some of our kids didn't sleep through the night for a very, very long time. And that can be really overwhelming to think ahead. But I like what you say about being in the moment and and maybe there's a reason to it. It's like maybe there's a reason if we're up at night when they're little, it forces us to slow down a little bit during the day and it maybe forces us to try and take a nap and try and rest because our bodies need that. And there's kind of reasons for the different seasons. I think it does grow us as a person. Mm -hmm. I really think it increases our patience. I think it gives us perspective. And I, I almost feel like it's like a rite of passage. You know, you kind of feel like People have like birth stories and it's like their war stories of like, look what I did, you know, mm-hmm. to bring the child into the world. And I think kind of the early phases of motherhood are like that too. And it's, 
I mean, there's a reason they use uh, sleep deprivation as like a form of torture, right? Like mm-hmm. it really does something to you to sleep in two hour increments. So that is going to nap like and from a physical standpoint, that is going to make you more irritable and less patient. But I think we can learn those hard seasons. That's where we grow. That's where we gain mm-hmm. resilience and grit and determination. And I think if we look at it from that perspective of like, what can I learn in this season? Not that to say, I also talk in my book about toxic positivity and we don't want to say like, ignore the hard and like, everything's great. And it's really not, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's not going to (laughs) help. I'm not saying we do that, but I think if we can find something good to hold on to in the hard, while still acknowledging this is hard, Mm -hmm. uh, it's just going to make our experience better. And I think we'll grow as a person. Mm -hmm. It's interesting too, because you do forge a lot of friendships in those years. And I think that those hard things bond you together in ways that other things don't. And so a lot of times if you develop friendships when you have toddlers and babies, those friendships definitely stand the test of time. I've noticed that in my life, more so even than other friendships do, because you walk through these hard years together and you commiserate together and you help each other in practical ways. So there there are things that come out of it that are good for a life and good for happiness. And I was just talking to Joe Winger, who wrote this book called Old Fashioned on Purpose that's coming out in September, same month as yours. And she was talking about this concept called problem creep, which is so interesting that when we lack problems, basically, our brain just creates new ones. (laughs) Why does our brain do that? (laughs) Like our brains are a little bit set to be dissatisfied And from what I read, the point is, is so that we are inclined to grow, but that if you eliminated all the problems from your life, your brain would just take the smaller things, like maybe nuances or things that are irritations, and it would turn those Mm -hmm. into big problems. And so I like that you talk about this, I'll be happy when, because it doesn't actually work. Yeah. You do have to just choose to say, look, this is where I'm at. So you wrote research shows that the act of savoring or slowing down and enjoying the moment boosts our happiness and well-being. That's it. Yeah. Accepting, savor and slow down. So you talk about some ideas of things that you could slow down and enjoy, things that you could savor that maybe we normally would hurry through. Yeah. So what are some examples of those? Yeah. I mean, something as simple as a shower, like those moments are precious when you're a mom and it's like, oh no, what are the kids? If you're doing it when the kids are awake, you're like, what are they getting into? But a good hot shower where you're just enjoying the moment of quiet and you're letting the warmth hit your body is so good. I feel like it just like totally re I mean, I love that. Not everyone might love that, but also eating, we rush meals. We quick, like quick, Mm. We're not, you know, not even sitting, we're standing at the counter, shoving it in our mouth. And then it's like, I didn't even enjoy all the wonderful flavors that were in that dish. And so I'm trying to teach this to my kids too, because they like to eat on the go and they want to just quick eat and get up from the table. And I think there's something about sitting down together and just enjoying the meal. And I think in Europe, they do this really well, where they don't like the the table is just a communion, you know, where they sit and enjoy and it's not like a rush and like, let me quick leave and waiters don't tell you, okay, it's time to go now you're allowed to sit there as long as you want. And I think there's something about that. There's something about sitting and enjoying the company and enjoying the meal. 
obviously we can't do that for every single meal. That's just not practical when you have small kids Mm -hmm. or even older kids. But I think if you can choose one thing a day, whether it's a meal, a shower, a walk outside, I'm always tempted to like listen to something when I'm outside. But one day I was like, okay, Lauren, stop. Like, just listen to the sounds around you. And I was amazed at how many birds I heard. Like we live by a pretty big highway and you can hear a lot of traffic noise. So I, that I'm always like, oh, I can hear the cars and the trucks, but there were so many sounds of nature. I just don't pay attention to it. And I think Mm -hmm. when we force ourselves to pause, we're amazed at what we find. Mm -hmm. And birdsong, I think is one of those things that really makes us feel good. Yeah. And in the morning, especially, I think the, I read, I think it's in this 52 Ways to Walk by Annabelle Abbs, once again, where she talks about how it carries further in the morning for some reason. They don't really know why. And it does a lot for us. So yeah, to turn things off. I think your story is really inspiring, Lauren, because you have gone from this person that is trying to maximize every moment, whether you, you know whether we think that or not. And I think a lot of us have that, right? We're trying to maximize every moment to a person who has become just a little bit more relaxed in life and a a little more relaxed in being present and being a mom and being in this season, that's a big change to have made. And I think a lot of people will find hope in that, that you were able to make those changes. I'm sure that it's a work in process, but I think that's kind of what we all want, right? Like we want to be in a spot where we're okay to take a step back and just be present with our kids and, and know that that's enough. Uh, talk to us a little bit, because I didn't know you were homeschooling. One of the things that you had talked in this book about was feeling overwhelmed about getting the kids ready for school. So this must be a recent change for you. Yes, for sure. Yeah. So this is the first year we're doing it. We're, they're actually going to do a hybrid homeschool where they go two days and then the other three days they're home. But yeah, initially, uh, my daughter went to a private school. And so we really loved this school and they were moving buildings for her first grade year, which was going to be really close to our house. But her kindergarten year, they were still in their old building and it was about like 25, 30 minutes away. And so they said, if you wait until first grade to enroll her, there might not be a spot because like the last few years, all the kindergartners stayed. And so we kind of were like, what do we do? We really loved the school. And so we made the decision to send her in kindergarten And it was so hard because we had to be out of the house by 730 in the morning with I had a six month old baby. And so it was like, and thank God that baby is super go with the flow. Unlike my older kids, like she's just like happy anywhere, slept anywhere. And like Like how your brother was. Yes, exactly. I don't know. Maybe it's something about that third. He was the third child. I don't know. That third child hopefully is relaxed and go with the flow. But it was really tough. It was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And I felt like I was dreading it. Really dread was the word for the morning. And my husband talked to me and like realized like, no, there has to be another way. And we looked at like, is there a bus? Like we brainstormed all the solutions. But the thing that changed was my mindset. And I was able mm. to look forward to the time. And I can't tell you, my kids ended up loving that ride, which I know sounds Aww. crazy. And I think if something isn't working well, we need to give ourselves permission to stop or to pivot. Like, I don't think we should always be like, oh, I have to push through and force this if it's just not working. But my daughter was thriving in the school and it was kind of like we wanted to give it a real shot. And so I tried to change my mind about it. Instead of waking up every morning being like, oh, today's going to be horrible. I'm like, okay, what can we do today in the car? And we laughed together. 
We Mm. sang songs. I mean, it became this bonding moment for us as a family. And it was, I think so often when we're faced with a struggle, we want to just kind of give up or be like, "I, I can't do that. That's too much. But I think, again, we need to use discernment and not push something that's that's just clearly not working, but give ourselves space to sit in the uncomfortable for a bit and mm-hmm. see if there is something that can change or that we could grow and learn from because it ended up being an amazing experience for our family. Mm-hmm. It's such an interesting thing because we have been in times in our life and a lot of times as parents where there is, there is no solution. There's no, like this person's yeah. traveling for work and this, all these different things are going on and there's no solution, but I love that because the solution is not necessarily changing the circumstance. It's trying to find a different way to do it or to change your mindset. And that really can make all the difference. So here you, it's okay. But now you have started homeschooling (laughs) and this is happening simultaneously with your book launch. Oh, I know. I was like, this, who decided this, Lauren, <laughs> to start homeschooling for the first time ever and launch a book at the same time? Not Maybe that's that part of me that wants the stress, right? No, but it just seemed like the best thing for our family. Like we really, I always kind of thought about homeschooling, but I was like, I don't know. I felt like, like I document in the book, I felt overwhelmed in early motherhood. And I was like, I don't know how I could do that. And maybe I had to walk through what I did in early motherhood to get to the point now where like, I don't, and granted, we're like a weekend. So I can't really say, but I don't feel that overwhelmed by it. You know, there will be days I am sure where I do, but um, it just felt like the right fit for our family to I really want to avoid that hamster wheel of stress and like, go, 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 do, do, do. And Mm -hmm. my oldest is 10. So she's getting to that point where there's after school activities and uh, different interests that she has. And I think that's wonderful to explore, but I don't want her to be gone for eight hours and then gone for another two hours at night. Like that just doesn't, I don't want that life. And so it kind Mm -hmm. of felt like homeschooling would give us that freedom that, that we were looking for. Mm-hmm. It gives a little bit of that white space yeah. because that is what happened. Your kids hit those years, 10, 11, and ours are teenagers and there is a lot going on. And so you do lose a lot of your white space. And I just really liked reading your story and reminding myself that sometimes when we have those really busy childhoods that translates into an adulthood that has this pressure associated with it that we should continue to be busy. And so it's just an interesting thought about how as a society, I'm not even talking about your story in particular, because like, like we talked about, this is how all the kids are doing it. Yeah, they're all having these sports, and they're all having all these extracurricular things. And then we get to adulthood and sort of the bottom drops out. It's it's bizarre, isn't it? And it is weird, because it's they're good things. You know, like my daughter does gymnastics, and she likes piano. And so like, these are good things for her to learn. And Mm -hmm she wanted to do a cooking camp this summer. And I'm like, that's great. But pretty soon you can sign up for every single camp and you're like, whoa, like there's a threshold where like now it's not good anymore. You know, now it's too much. And so I think, I think it's wise as a family to really sit down and look at like, what do we want our life to look like, you know, in five, five and 10 years, what do we want our kids to learn from us and to know from us that we're not explicitly saying, because there's a lot that's learned just from routines and rhythms. And like, you know, my, like my parents never told me you need to do this, but it was kind of like, this is what our family does. You know, that's what was like being told that wasn't really being spoken out loud. And so 
I think we need to look and not in fear and not in like, oh my gosh, I'm ruining my kids, but look at it and be like, what do I want my kids to know? Like, what do I value for them and my spouse? You know, what do we value as parents and that we want our kids to have? And then it's hard. It took time for us to get to this point to be able to make the lifestyle changes that we wanted to make. But I think having a plan in place to do that because it's your life. And so you get to decide what you want to do with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that your whole platform is called Inspired Motherhood, because it is inspiring to see that you have been able to make substantial changes, really, really big changes from your own childhood to the start of your parenting to where you're at now, that you have been able to take a step back and make those intentional choices. And so that is really inspiring. And I love the thing about don't be afraid of the white space because I do think we are a little afraid of that. Yeah. Both from the standpoint of having kids that are bored and fussing, but also from the standpoint of falling behind, our kids falling behind or feeling like we're falling behind from the other people in our neighborhood and that type of thing. So, so many great things, unshakable kids, three keys to raising spiritually strong and emotionally healthy children. Then you also have a website, inspired-motherhood.com. What can people find there? Yeah, so I try to get out an article like once a week, but that is sometimes touch and go with launching a book, but kind of more of the same. Not all, you know, I don't, the book and the, the information in the book is new. So it's not on my website, but talking about the pressures of parenting and talking about the best tools for parenting from a psychological perspective and what can we do as parents to be healthy, but also what can we do to teach our kids? Because I feel like I loved our conversation, but there's so much more of what we can do to teach our kids their thoughts. That was a huge thing for one of my kids didn't even realize that their thoughts were influencing their feelings. And so talking about things like that, practically, what can we do to teach our kids to understand that they have 70,000 thoughts running through their head every day and what to do with those? Mm-hmm. And what to do with their emotions Yes, when the emotions fester. Yeah, a lot of practical information. I like that you said that who called you Miss Melodramatic Lauren, your dad? Oh, yeah. Yeah, my dad and my brother. That was my name because <laughs> I was. I was like the kid, like I said, I think I'm a highly sensitive person who would go from zero to 60 right away and be very dramatic in my emotions. And I feel things deeply. So I think, too something that's so important for us as parents and for our kids is to like understand ourselves, understand who we are and our personality and what makes us tick and what makes us anxious and not necessarily, I mean, you know, of course I do think we can change that, but just understanding gives perspective of like, okay, why that happened, why I just mm-hmm. lost my temper, you know, is because I'm feeling overwhelmed or I have too many things mm-hmm. on my plate. I think it gives us perspective to understand what's going on around us when we know who we are and what makes us tick. Mm -hmm. And then how our thoughts can influence our lives. And it's cool because you're doing it for yourself, but you're also doing it for your kids. Negative thoughts, negative words, and really fantastic information for parents. So Lauren, way to go. Way to go on on your first book. (laughs) It's so cool. It's a cool cover. Unshakable Kids, it's got this key on the front of it. And it will be out by the time this podcast airs. We always end our podcast with the same question. What is a favorite outdoor memory from your childhood? 
Oh man, definitely going to my Nona's, which is so cool now. My Nona is still alive. That's my grandmother. And so my kids get the same experience. She has a lot of land. And so we would just go and it was always like, you need to bring an extra pair of clothes when you go to Nona's because I would go with my cousins and we would just get so dirty and messy and just like run up and down the field and in the mud. And it was just, and now that my kids get to experience that too, I just love it. It's so cool. Oh, how neat. How neat to have a same experience as your kids. That's so cool. And that your cousins were there. That's really bonding. Yeah. Well, I love it. Lauren, huge congrats on your new book. Thank you so much for coming on today and spending this time with us. Great. Thank you so much for having me. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.